1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 8. For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Good morning, church. He is risen. For those of you that maybe that sounds a little bit strange, that's been a tradition uh, in the early church, and that was the tradition in the church that I grew up in, uh, on Easter Sunday especially, but really lots of times, the pastor would say, uh, he is risen, and then the other people would say, he is risen indeed. So let's try that one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Praise God. Uh, well, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to first of all welcome you here. I'm so glad to see all of you. You know, Easter is a time where we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, and maybe you come in today and you are feeling like celebrating, and you just love these songs, and you love clapping your hands, and you love raising your hands, and you just have that joy in your heart, and if that's the case, let's celebrate. Praise God. He's risen. Let's celebrate. But if you're here this morning and you don't feel like celebrating, if you had a hard week if there's a burden that you're carrying right now, if there's something tough going on in your life and you, the last thing you feel like doing is celebrating, uh, I want you to know that you're welcome here as well and that Jesus is the risen Lord when things are good. He's the risen Lord when things are bad. If you are here for the first time, I want to especially welcome you. We hope that you'll find this a place that is a safe place to ask questions, a safe place to learn a safe place to doubt, a safe place where people love you enough to challenge you in different ways, and ultimately a safe place to, to grow in your faith as a disciple of Jesus Christ too. So whether you've been a Christian for 30 years and you're trying this church out because, hey, it's Easter, why not try out a church? Or, or, whether, or, or whether you've never been inside a church before and you have no idea what you believe about spiritual things, I want to welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're really glad that you're here, and I'm excited about diving into the Word with you this morning. Um, I, I want to start by telling you something that happened to me a couple weeks ago. So about two weeks ago, I was in our church office, and I was sitting with Pastor David, one of our other pastors on staff here. And uh, we were in the same room at our church office, and we were both working on our computers, sitting at, the, at this big table, and he was kind of doing his thing, and I was doing my thing. And all of a sudden, I heard this noise come out of David. He just goes... Oh, I was like, what is it? What's wrong? I was like, is he sick? You know, what's, what's going on? And he said, ah, it was like this groan slash, you know, sigh type of a sound. I said, hey, what is it? And he's looking at his computer and he says, man, there was another school shooting. 
And it was the day that the school shooting in Nashville had, had happened. And it was just this thing where, I mean, I, I saw that on the news, and it's just this visceral pain. And I'm sure each of you had a similar reaction when, when you saw that. I remember that night going home and uh, talking to my wife, Lindsay, and, you know, in Nashville, at that school that day, there were three nine-year-old kids that were, that were killed. And my wife, Lindsay, and I, we have a daughter who's going to be nine this fall. And so it was one of those things, you know, driving home, I, I'm thinking about it, I'm processing it, I'm, I'm wondering if Lindsay's heard the news about it, I'm kind of hoping that she does, because I'd like somebody to process with about it, but I'd also kind of hope that she hasn't heard about it, because I don't want her to feel scared, I know that can be really troubling, especially to parents with kids that age. But she had heard about it, and so we were talking about it and looking at some of the details that night, and... And I don't know about you guys, but when, when things like that happen, and I was, I was feeling this very acutely this past week, when things like that happen, I just have this feeling where I'm like, this, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not how things are supposed to be. And sometimes I get this feeling in my heart where I'm like, how much longer am I going to have to live in a world where evil things like school shootings happen, where nine-year-old kids go to school and are taken away in a casket. How much longer am I going to have to live in a world like that? Now, some of you this morning, I've heard your story. I know some of the things you've been through. For some of you, maybe we've never met before. Maybe we were just getting to know each other. I might not know your story. But here's one thing I know is true about every single person in this room, and that is that there is something that you experience in your life that makes you go, it's not supposed to be this way. There's something in your life that you experience, maybe it's something in your personal life, maybe it's in family relationships, maybe it's just, maybe it's a physical thing, maybe it's an emotional thing, maybe it's something you see on the news where you're like, how much longer am I going to have to live in a world with blank? And so the question that I want us to ask this morning is how are we, we all live in a world that's broken. How are we supposed to have hope? How are you supposed to have hope in this broken world that's full of pain and suffering like I was just talking about? Well, the answer that the Bible gives us, how can we have hope in this broken world? The answer that the Bible gives us is one word. It's just one word. Resurrection. It's the resurrection of Jesus. And so, what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Number two, we're going to talk about what does the resurrection mean for you? And what does it mean for me in this broken world? What does the resurrection mean for you? And then, and then third and finally, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about is it true? 
what is the resurrection? What does it mean for you? And then can we, is it reasonable to believe that it's true? So first of all, look with me at 1 Corinthians 15, if you're not already there. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. This is the passage that Lauren just read. So as you're turning there, this is written by uh, the Apostle Paul. Now Paul, as many of you know, he was a contemporary of Jesus. He was a very devout religious person, but he hated Christianity. He hated the church, and he spent a few years after the resurrection of Jesus trying to stamp out Christianity. And then, in about 33 AD, he became convinced that Jesus actually rose from the dead. He did a 180, and he started telling people about Jesus, and he went to this city called Corinth, where he told them about Jesus, and he planted a church there, and now he's writing them a letter reminding them about the things that he had taught them. I want you to look at how, at what Paul says, what he reminds these people of. In 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to read 3 through 7. He says, for I delivered to you of first importance, of first importance. What is the elevator pitch for Christianity? What is the, if you have one, if you have one minute to explain Christianity to somebody, what do you say? If you go to the, on the early church 2,000 years ago, if you go on their website to the about us section, what does it say? What's the paragraph? This is it right here. So if you're here and you're not a disciple of Jesus, you want to know what this is all about, this is what it's about. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What does he say? He says that Christ, that's Jesus, Jesus Christ, he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, it wasn't just because he was the political dissident. It was because he was taking on the penalty for all the sins of the world so that we could be forgiven. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Verse four, that he was buried, so he really died. He was really buried. The tomb was covered with a giant boulder and that he, raised, he was raised on the third day. That Jesus, was, he was really crucified. He was really dead. And that on the third day, on, on Sunday, on a Sunday morning, he came back to life by the power of God. Well, how do we know that that's true? What does Paul say? In verse 5, he says, and that he appeared to Cephas, also known, you might know him as Peter. He appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. That's his 12 closest followers, the disciples. And then to more than 500 brothers at one time. So people sometimes would say, oh, well, maybe it was a hallucination. You don't have hallucinations of 500 people in the same time at the same place. That's the point that Paul's making here. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep, which is another way of saying that most of the people who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection are still alive. You, if you have a question about it, go and ask them. A few of them have fallen asleep, a few of them have died, but most of them are still alive. 
And then verse 7, he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, Paul says, he appeared to me. So this is the elevator pitch for Christianity. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried, and then on the third day, he rose from the dead, and he appeared to more than 500 people who were eyewitnesses. Well, let me ask you the question, what does this mean for you? What does this mean? Other than, you know, uh, some pretty flowers on stage, other than getting dressed up for a Sunday morning, what does this mean to you as you struggle to have hope in a broken world? What does this mean? There's so many people today, and maybe you're one of them, that are struggling just to figure life out. And, and lots of weeks that feels like me. Where it just feels like the future is so uncertain and so unknown There have been CDC and Barna reports that have come out just this year that have talked about the incredibly high depression and anxiety and even suicidal ideation rates of so many young boys and girls. And so often it comes down to just looking at this life and thinking, I don't, what is this life for? What does this life mean? Why am I here? What, What is my purpose? How can I... How can I know what decisions to make in life? If that's you this morning, the resurrection says to you that there is a God who loves you so much. He loves you so much and cares so much about you. The God who created the world, that he was willing to come from heaven to step down into this broken world and to suffer and die for you, which means you can look to him. You can look to him. You can hold his hand. He can guide you through life. He can help you face confusion about identity. He can help you face uncertainty about your job. He can help you face confusion about how to use your skills, what to do with your life. Okay, maybe you're here today, and remember, think about this question, what is it that makes you go, ah, this world is not supposed to be like that? What is it for you? You know, I've gone through times in my life, and maybe this is where you are right now, where the thing that for you just troubles you more than anything else is this sense of guilt. And maybe there's things in your life that you've done. Maybe things that you struggle with right now. Maybe addictions or destructive behaviors that you're struggling with right now. Maybe that's why you don't feel like celebrating this morning. is because you're in the midst of that type of a struggle right now. Or maybe you look back on your past and you look at your failures as a as a father, or as a mother, or as a friend, mistakes you've made, choices that you've made, and you're just 
eaten up inside with guilt and with shame. What does the resurrection mean for you? Well, the resurrection means that your sins can be paid for. That no matter what you've done, whenever somebody puts their faith in Jesus, when somebody looks to the cross and trusts in Jesus to forgive them of their sins and to be the Lord of their life, all of your sins can be forgiven past, present, and future right now. Which means you don't have to wait until you kick that addiction to get rid of the guilt. You don't have to wait until you finally complete your New Year's resolution to kick the shame that you have over not being the type of parent or not being the type of person that you want to be. You can have that hope and that joy right now. Not because sin isn't a big deal, but because Jesus is a bigger deal. And he's paid for your sins. Some of you in this room I know, maybe for you what comes to your mind is a physical thing. Maybe you have chronic pain. Maybe you've gotten the cancer diagnosis. Maybe the, for whatever reason, the, the chemistry in your brain just isn't working the right way. And you're having severe mental health struggles. Some of you, maybe you're, you know, you're kind of doing the math and say, okay, you're probably in the last half or the last third or maybe even the last fourth or possibly the last tenth of your life. You know, who knows? But, you know, you're thinking maybe this is probably the second half of my life at least. And you think about this idea of dying and having to have everything that you enjoy in this world taken away from you. What the resurrection says to you is that this life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. Look at what it says in, in verse 20 of the same passage. It says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he is the first fruits of those who are fallen asleep. What this means is that Jesus rising from the dead, God rising Jesus from the dead, God raising Jesus from the dead is like a preview of a movie. It's like a little foretaste of the fact that one day when Jesus returns, every single person who believes in him will be resurrected from the dead as well. And look at what it says in verse 43. Skip down with me to verse 43 if you're there in the text with me. It says, what type of body are we going to have? What if you're hurting? What if you have cancer? What if, you know, what if your body is just breaking down? Look at what it says in verse 43. It says, what is sown in dishonor is comparing your body to like a seed. Have you ever seen a seed before? Have you ever seen a seed? You see these flowers, these beautiful lilies that are back here in front of the cross? You know that these, that these flowers, these gorgeous flowers, they start off as a seed about this big? And you put that seed in the ground and what happens to it? In verse 43, it says, it is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. What's that talking about? It means that right now, it means that in the same way that these beautiful flowers start as this tiny little inconspicuous looking seed, and now look how beautiful and glorious they are. Right now, the body you have is that little seed. It's this little weak seed that 
has trouble obeying Jesus, that gets cancer, that has strife within your family, that has chronic pain, that experiences depression and anxiety. Right now, you're that weak little seed, but you're going to be raised in glory. You're going to be raised in power. And just like you see how much more glorious these flowers are compared to the little seed that they started off as, that's how much more glorious, that's how much more beautiful, that's how much more impressive and how much better your new body is going to be when Jesus raises you from the dead and gives you a new body. Well, what if you're like me and you look around and you see Nashville, you see what's going on in Ukraine, maybe you take a drive to a, an inner city area, maybe you've been to Africa or places that are impoverished, you, you meet people who just don't have enough to meet their needs. And you, and you look around at the society we live in, you look at the world that we live in, you look at the fact that we have earthquakes. You have earthquakes. What does that mean? It means the world is broken. The world is sick. And you look at the world that we live in, the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of society, and you say, ah, how much longer am I going to have to live in this broken, messed up, twisted society, in this broken, messed up world? Well, for you, look at what it says. Look at what Paul says in verses 24 and 25. He says, then comes the end when he, that's Jesus, delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. That means that one day when Jesus comes back, not only is he going to take your little seed body and exchange it for a gorgeous, beautiful flower body, but he's going to renew and heal the world. That Jesus is going to set up systems. He's going to set up administrations. He's going to set up governments. He's going to set up a world of abundance. He's going to heal the world so it won't be a world of earthquakes, so it won't be a world of hurricanes. It'll be a world of safety, a world of health, and a world of abundance, a world that just works the way it's supposed to be, where there'll be no school shootings, there'll be no pandemics, there'll be no cancer, because we'll be able to be with our Savior. So I want to leave you with, this is the most important question that you could ever ask. The most important question you could ever ask is, is this true? Is this true? You know, Paul says a little bit later in this passage, he says, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then your faith is worthless. He goes on to say, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then we should just eat, drink, and be merry because after all, you know, you only live once, right? In other words, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then you would be an absolute fool to follow him as his disciple. 
But if he has been raised from the dead, you would be an absolute fool not to. So we live in the day and age where you can kind of call anything fake news, and if you start saying, you know, that's made up or that's made up long enough, eventually enough, a, a lot of people are going to believe you. So I, I know that in just a few minutes here, there's no way I can convince you 100% if you don't believe in the resurrection that Jesus rose from the dead. But let me give you four reasons why I believe it is reasonable. There are good evidential reasons to believe what Paul said, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. You ready? Number one, the fact that there was a man in first century Israel named Jesus who was crucified by the Romans and later Christianity, this movement developed around him, is one of, if not the most well-attested historical facts in the history of humanity. Do you guys know who Bart Ehrman is? Bart Ehrman is a, he's an agnostic skeptic. Um, he, he basically makes a living writing books about why we should not believe the, the Bible literally or why we should not take it authoritatively. Bart Ehrman says that the fact that there was a man in Israel named Jesus who was crucified under the Romans is as certain of a fact as we have in history. Okay, this isn't me saying this. This is a skeptic saying this. Okay, number two. The most common thing that I hear is that yeah, this is just something people made up. Just something people made up. You know, it was just like Jesus was a good teacher. He taught people to love each other. But then later, you know, 100, 200, 300 years later, then people started to say, oh, well, you know, he didn't, he, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And this myth started to develop. Do you know that this creed that I just re read to you, this about us page that the first century church had, that that dates to about 36 AD, that Paul received that in about 36 AD. Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead in 30 AD. So that's only six years after these events took place. Why is that important? If I told you, let me ask you a question. If I told you that in 2016, Donald Trump, okay, Donald Trump was elected president and then became the first man to ever walk on Mars, how many of you would believe me? Raise your hand. I don't think you believe me. Why wouldn't you believe me? I'm saying it. I could probably get a few people to say it. You wouldn't believe me because that was only a few years ago. And you were here during that time. You know it's, it's an exaggeration. So legends don't develop within just three or four years. And the reason that Paul is saying this, the reason it says it in the Bible about the resurrection of Jesus is not because this was a legend that developed over time, but it was because this is what early Christians believed. Okay, number three, there were over 500 people who claimed to be eyewitnesses, including the 12 closest disciples that Jesus had all of whom were willing to suffer and die for what they believed. And finally, number four, the tomb was empty. You want to stop Christianity dead in its tracks as soon as it starts? 
This is what you would do. You would just get the body of Jesus and start carrying it around town. But that's not what happened. When Christians started saying, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, the Jewish authorities, the way they countered that was not by saying, no, look, here's the body. See, he was actually, he's, he's still dead. They, they, they started saying that the body had been stolen. Well, I don't believe the body was stolen, but why would they say that? Well, they would say that because the body was gone and because the tomb was empty. Okay, so what does this mean for you? Well, if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, I'd ask you the question, what are you hoping in this morning? What are you hoping in? When you come to those moments in life that just make you go, ah, where do you put your hope in? What a shame it would be when we're experiencing confusion or lack of direction in life if we only look to therapy and self-help books, which are great gifts from God, and, but don't also look to our risen Savior who puts his spirit inside of us to walk with us every step of the way through life. What a shame it would be if you get sick or you're dealing with pain and you comfort yourself by thinking about, oh, I have the best doctors or there's this treatment or, or there's this health treatment or, or whatever there is. Instead of saying, yes, I'm going to use these things. Yes, I'm going to give thanks to God for these things. These are his gifts. But that's not where my hope is. My hope is that right now I've got the little seed body. And one day Jesus is coming back and he's giving me the gorgeous flower body. What a shame it would be if you're a Christian and you believe in the resurrection. If instead of hoping in the resurrection of Jesus and the eternal life that he gives you were hoping in something else. And finally, if you're here and you're a guest, you're not a disciple of Jesus, I would just ask you the question. Again, like I said, I know it's impossible for me to whip out some brilliant argument and convince you and just say, oh my gosh, he's, he's totally right, 100%. All questions answered. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I'm a pastor. I have questions every single day about my faith. Okay, But the question I would ask to you is, is it possible, do you think it's possible that the resurrection of Jesus is not just a myth, it's not just a legend, it's not just a fairy tale, but like Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 15, it's the truth. Because if it is, like I said, we would be a fool not to believe it. As the band comes back on stage, I want to read you this I want to read you a, a story that if you're in this church, if you've come to church before, you may have heard me read before. And this is called A Parable of Life After Delivery. Again, think about this question. Maybe to you, life after death just seems ridiculous. The idea of resurrection just seems impossible. I invite you just to think about these things as the band gets ready to lead us in some more songs. In a mother's womb, there were two babies. One asked the other, do you believe in life after delivery? Why, of course. There has to be something after delivery. Maybe we are here to prepare ourselves 
for what we will be later. Nonsense, the other one said. There is no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be? Oh, I don't know, the first one said, but there will be more light than here. Maybe we'll walk with our legs and eat from our mouths. Maybe we will have other senses that we can't even understand now. That's absurd, the second said. Walking is impossible, and eating with our mouths? Ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition and everything we need, but the umbilical cord is too short. Walking after delivery is to be logically excluded. Well, said the first one, I think that there is something more, and maybe it's different than the way it is here. Maybe we won't need this physical cord anymore. Nonsense, said the second one. And moreover, if there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? Delivery is the end. And in the after delivery, there's nothing but darkness and silence and oblivion. It takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the first one. But certainly we will meet mother and she will take care of us. Mother? You mean to tell me you actually believe in a mother? That's laughable. If mother exists, then where is she now? Well, she's all around us. We're surrounded by her. We are of her. It is in her that we live and move and have our being. Without her, we would not exist. Well, I don't see her, said the second. So it's only logical to conclude that she doesn't exist. Well, sometimes, said the first one, when you're, when you're in silence and you focus and if you really listen, you can perceive her presence and you can hear her, love, her loving voice calling down to you from above. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your life, death, and resurrection. As we celebrate now who you are and what you've done, we ask your spirit will be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.